Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, June was a tough month for Yellowstone National Park. And June was not only a hard month for Yellowstone National Park, it was a hard month for visitors to Yellowstone National Park. And just here, about a little more than a week ago, at the very end of June, um, it happened again. This time to a 71-year-old woman, about uh, at the very end of June, a visitor to Yellowstone uh, encountered a bison and got the horns. And that's the third time uh, in the last month that has happened. And before you get too judgmental, <laughs> this wasn't some attempt, right, to you know to to brave the wild west and pet you know a wild animal. It wasn't anything like that. Or uh, a, you know, oh, it's a once in a lifetime chance to get this really good selfie with this 1,500-pound uh, animal. Wasn't that either? Uh, no. Uh, here's what's said by park service officials. Uh, the woman and her daughter inadvertently approached the bison as they were returning to their vehicle at a trailhead, causing the bull to charge. Right? You're probably like, yeah, okay. Uh, been there, done that. Not, not the charge part. But uh, my family was in Yellowstone two years ago, about this time actually. And I don't know if you know the layout of Yellowstone National Park. But there's a place called, it's an area called uh, the Mud Volcano, and there's lots of things to see. And then across the road, down the way a little bit, is um, the Sulphur Cauldron. And it's all paved, right? And the Mud Volcano's kind of up here, and the Sulphur Cauldron's kind of way down here in the valley below, across the street and down the way, it's all paved. And we, and we walked from one to the other, uh, just because we were so close. And there's a steep embankment there. And as we're turning to go back to the car, um, up come not one, but two bison, and they're probably from here to there to the rejoice sign, right? Here to there. Um, they came up the embankment. There they are. Right? And one of them turned and looked me right in the eye. And I knew there was nothing that I was going to do that was going to change the outcome. Right? I didn't encounter the bison as much as it encountered me. What do I mean by that? I mean, it was going to do whatever it was going to do. And there wasn't a whole lot that I could, you know, do about it. Now, I did do a few things. I averted my eyes first, right? I walked backward, like, very slowly. I put myself in front of the bison and my kids, I don't know how much that would have helped, but, and I prayed to God, right? I did. <laughs> but I was just, I was too close to this animal um, that was faster than me, bigger than me, you know. I was really at its mercy. Um, and I know you're, I'm not going to be able to finish the sermon because you're going to be like, what happened? We got to know what happened, Right? Uh, no one got the horns that day, thanks be to God, right? Cooler heads prevailed, so um, they crossed the road, and that was that. But uh, as much as it terrified me, it did terrify me to have that close of an encounter, 
Uh, biblical accounts of seeing God face to face. All right. Biblical accounts of seeing God face to face bring an existential crisis for those who, who come into the presence of a holy, just God. Even for people like Isaiah, right? Woe is me, I'm dead. We become acutely aware in the full presence of God of our smallness, of our sinfulness, of our unworthiness, right? And we know, you know, that God is more powerful, more transcendent, more, more awe-inspiring than any uh, creature that he has made, including uh, the bison. Right? He's all-powerful, he's holy, he's almighty. He's all these things uh, that we are not. We don't so much encounter God as he encounters us, Right? What do I mean by that? I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do. So the question is then, for us, is what does he want to do? What does this holy, perfect, righteous God want with you? Because of your sin, right, you certainly deserve the horns, so to speak, if we're going to stay in that metaphor, I guess. But that's not God's proper character, right? His proper character, his proper work, is to treat us tenderly, to bring us near. And he paves the way for that to happen. He paves the way for you, a sinner, uh, to approach him in his holy splendor, right? And so how does God do that? Well, in the Old Testament, he provided a sacrificial system. That's what a lot of Leviticus is, is about. A sacrificial system and priests to deal with the sin problem, right? To communicate to God's people that they have pardon and peace, that because of their sin, they deserve to be like this animal and, and die and have their uh, blood shed. But that God is good and merciful and that he has steadfast love for them, right? Mercy. Chesed is the Hebrew word. That is God's proper work, right? I don't know if you noticed today, but God commands his people to do certain things, right? We, we heard that. Why does he do that? Uh, because the things that he commands reflect his character, right? And what he wants for people. God wants good for people. And He wants His people to reflect His goodness, right? God wants love for people. And He wants His people to reflect His love. So the things that God commands today uh, in our Old Testament lesson from Leviticus, uh, again, show His character, His love, what He wants for people and how we should be treating people. And so what are some of the things, just to kind of remind you of what just in this small section, what he's talking about, right? So leave some stuff, you know, if you're, in your, on your land, if you're growing anything, don't, don't take it all, right? Leave it for the poor, the alien, right? The person who's there, uh, the person who's traveling through to the sojourner, uh, the widow, right? So that they might be fed. There you go. I am the Lord your God. 
right? What else do you notice? Right? These are in line with the commandments. No stealing. Not dealing falsely, right? Putting the best construction on everything. Defending your neighbor. Um, not swearing. You know, I swear to God I'm telling the truth when really you're, you're not. Right? Second commandment. Not oppressing your neighbor, right? A lot of this has to do with uh, stealing. And not cursing. That doesn't mean to uh, say bad words. That means to, like, wish evil upon someone, right? Don't do that. Not taking a grudge or seeking vengeance against others. This is not God's character, and he doesn't want it to be in your character either. And it's why he ends every exhortation with, I am the Lord. I know you're, you know the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's interesting in that, because in today's gospel lesson, Jesus really shows us the boundless nature of God's loving kindness and his care for us. Um, especially in the person of Jesus. And you can look at the parable of the Good Samaritan in one of two ways. You can say, okay, this is about the Christian life, what I'm supposed to do uh, for my neighbor. But I don't know that you can truly appreciate or do those things uh, until you see Jesus as the Good Samaritan and you as the person laying dead on the side of the road. You have to see that first. The good Samaritan in the parable, that's Jesus. He is the good Samaritan in the parable. And you can apply this to the Christian life too. It's fine to look at it that way. But you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus isn't a Samaritan. Well, in the eyes of the religious elite, to the person testing him, he was. To the religious elite, Jesus was an outsider. He was an outsider. And he kind of shows the problem, right? So he starts talking about this person who had encountered robbers, and then he mentions a priest and a Levite, right? All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. It's okay. Religious people with... um, with sort of a a religious vocation. And you think, oh, these are going to be the heroes of the story, right? These are going to be the people who are going to help. And they don't. And it reflected what was going on in Israel, right? That the the people who should be helping, uh, who know better, um, are neglecting their duty to neighbor. But Jesus, on the other hand, the good Samaritan on the other hand, this outsider does something unexpected. The Good Samaritan Samaritan goes to great length to care for this person who had fallen into the hands of robbers. And what does the Good Samaritan do? What does he do? Well, the first thing he does is draws near. You notice in the parable how the other two are kind of like, yeah, not my problem, right? They kind (laughs) of... Give give this person a wide berth, right? 
And that, I guess, makes sense if you have any shred of self-preservation, right? Dangerous, uh, it's dangerous to stop someplace and potentially help someone. Uh, you know those times I'm talking about. You see a car stranded on the road. It's late at night. There's nobody else around. Uh, not sure that's safe, right? It's what we have here, right? I mean, what? there's a potential here for danger. Are the robbers still around? Is this a trick? Is this person really hurt or not? You know, is this a scam or a con? And again, you, you, your self-preservation, your questions start to kick in. Oh my. Right? We might think, you know, it's better just not to get involved. Not my problem. But that's not the attitude of the Good Samaritan. That's not the attitude of Jesus. Right? in the parable and in his life, at considerable risk. I mean, think about this. He goes to the wounded. With considerable uh, compassion, he binds up wounds. At great and significant cost, puts the needs of others before his own. Uh, And at great considerable cost, in the parable, right? Uh, pays for the man's convalescence to get back to where he needs to be. Um, Of course, our Lord Jesus uh, pays for that for us with his life. Right? The person in the parable, the Good Samaritan, is how God deals with us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is your Good Samaritan. You are the dying person on the road. We don't encounter God as much as God encounters us, right? God encounters us as prey fallen to the robbers of sin, death, and the power of the devil, and and your own sinful flesh, my own sinful flesh. We are helpless against their attacks. We are born dead in our sin and our trespasses. We don't encounter God as much as He encounters us. We are unable to. That's the point. Dead on the road, someone has to come in and rescue us. And He does that. He encounters us. He enlivens us. He quickens us. He restores us. He pays the debt we carry. On and on and on all at great personal risk and cost, with considerable compassion for you in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? He suffered for you. He bleeds for you. He suffered rejection from the Father for you because of His great compassion. Paul puts it this way, all right? To put it in perspective, theological perspective, Uh, This parable. For while we were still weak, right? While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, uh, for you, in this. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that means something. Because therefore we have now been justified, right? Declared righteous, made whole by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, how much more shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. A restored relationship. You know what's really great? And that we have to receive by faith. We do have to receive it by faith, but... What's really great is that today our Lord Jesus Christ continues to visit poor, weak sinners, fallen prey to the world and Satan and their own sinful flesh, continues to come and dwell among them. How does he do it? Well, he does it through the things that he commanded his church to do. And it's how he promised the church he would be with them until he returns. Jesus pours on the healing balm of water and the word in baptism, just like he did with Luca this morning. Washing away our sin, washing away our guilt, and we had a nice rainstorm as a kind of a illustration for us today. He replaces our stained, dressed, bloody robes, right? Of sin within and sin without, right? Our own sin and the sin that the world commits. Replaces all that with his robe of righteousness, right? Christ's perfect righteousness. That's what we're clothed with in our baptism. He does this thing called the great exchange where he takes all of our bad stuff, our sin, our death, our debt, all of that makes it his own and gives us his holiness, his righteousness, his kingdom and makes that our own. He promises to send his Holy Spirit that then will continue through teaching and the Lord's Supper, where he feeds us with his own body and blood. He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies by his Spirit, right? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll send the Holy Comforter to you. We don't as much encounter God as he encounters us. Because let's face it, we come with distracted minds, distracted hearts, how long are you going to go, Pastor? Um, we got stuff to do. Sometimes we see God as kind of an obstacle in our life. Yeah, get this out of the way so I can get on with my life. But in today's readings, we see life coming from God. That He truly is the loving, compassionate One who gives us life and gives us eternal life. And He is at work. He is at work in you. It's okay to say, yeah, I live for Jesus, but it's better to say He lives for you. Because He's continually rescuing you. Continually binding up your sin, your death, and your sinful nature. He is constantly restoring you. He's constantly pouring out God's goodness, His forgiveness, His favor upon you. So that His love and care shine through, right? 
He opens your eyes not only to your own helpless situation, but the situation of those around you. People who need to hear the Gospel and about God's love for them. He opens our eyes to those in need around us. The unexpected ones we encounter, right? Just like the bison, unexpected. Uh, This situation in the parable, unexpected. Right? That we're willing, despite inconvenience, potential um, right danger to love neighbor. I once preached this sermon with uh, this theme, like a good neighbor, you know the, you know how that ends, right? Yeah, State Farm. Yeah. The problem is you got to pay State Farm to be there, right? Like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. You don't have to pay him, right? Like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. But more than that, he he bids us. He empowers us with His love. He he fills us uh, to also be a good neighbor. Go and do likewise. Right? Go and do likewise. That's what He says. Go and do likewise. But you have to know why. You have to know why we go and do likewise. And here's what you got to know. Not because it earns God's love. But because you already have God's love and it's changed you. Go and do likewise. You go and do likewise because you carry in your bodies and your wills and your hearts and your minds the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Right? The healing work of the Good Samaritan Constantly battling the wounds of sin and death that the world and, let's face it, ourselves inflict. His love compels you, empowers you, changes you to have compassion. Knowing that when we fall short and reflect ugliness and sin, when we are dead in our trespasses and return to them, There the Good Samaritan is again at work. Binding our wounds, paying our debt over and over and over and over again. And He's here for you through His church. To forgive, to restore, to heal. He promises to continue to tend to you with His mercy and grace and goodness so that you go and do likewise. Remembering that He is always doing it first. At work, for your good. Always at work for your good. And always at work, working goodness in you that's found only in Him. To God be the glory. Amen. And may the peace that surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.